Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset, inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. I absolutely loved this conversation with Nick Littlehouse. Now, we all need a good night's sleep. We all need to think about rest and recovery deliberately in order for us to show up and perform and be our best, whether it be physically, mentally, or emotionally. And this is something that really started to make sense to me only recently, over the last year and a half or so, where for the most part, I neglected sleep. And it was just a second priority that normally got abused. So you're going to hear a bunch of stuff today. It's quite a long one, about an hour and 30 minutes, but it is gold. You are going to learn so much. And it's not just about the practical tips and tricks and hacks. This is more fundamental, foundational around our relationship with the sun and our relationship with our personality and chronotype. And if you can just get those things right, your ability to get a good night's sleep, feel recovered, feel fresh and ready for a productive day can go through the roof. So I hope you enjoy this, guys. And as always, if you have any questions whatsoever, hit us up on the Facebook page or our Instagram page. Enjoy. So today, guys, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Nick Littlehouse. Now, Nick is, I would say he's a crusader for sleep. Even when people didn't want to hear about it, this guy's been banging on about sleep and its importance for years, 22 years to be precise. And he is known for being a sleep coach to athletes to help improve and optimize their sport performance. He's also an author of a fantastic book called Sleep. He's consulted and as is consulting GPs on how they should think about sleep guidance for their patients. And he is working on forward thinking projects to care for younger generations and really help solve for some of the issues that we see going forward. And most importantly, what I appreciate about appreciate about you, Nick, is that you're gracious with your time, as you showed last week with me. You're balanced, and I think re- realistic. Um, too often, people want to go on the extreme and want to go on the biohack end of the spectrum when it talks about anything around you know, body, nutrition, sleep. And I think you have a balanced message. And most importantly, I think you appreciate and focus your messaging on the small things that make the biggest difference versus the big changes that make small differences. So Nick, I'm going to give you the mic to correct all the mistakes I've just made in um, your resume. But yeah, give people a sense of really where you focused academically and um, from a career perspective over the last 20 years. I think you sort of encapsulated it extremely well, to be honest. Um, you know, as you pointed out, uh, you know, I've been around the sort of sleep industry in different guises for over 35 years, 22 years focused on elite sport. I, I fell into elite sport um, by accident. Um, it was just a period of my time when I just felt, you know, I was almost sick and tired of people just taking sleep for granted. There was no 
real focus on it. There was some research, of course, that tells us how important it is. But all along that 35 years, it just seemed to be, you know, it was very difficult for any uh, advice that we would get from the clinical academic side to actually impact that on an everyday process. So people just ignored it and cracked on. Um, so I think it was sort of, I don't know, desperation or just continuing this drive of how you could change it. When I contacted, um, which was a local sporting organization to my office in, in the UK in Oldham, Manchester, which has happened to be Manchester United Football Club. Um, no other reason than that. Um, it was back in the late 90s. Um, it, it, uh, I had a response to my contact um, through the manager, Alex Ferguson, and also a physio at the club called Dave Fever. Um, because my my sort of pretty much my competence was around sleeping products at that time. Um, we engaged in dialogue about how we could possibly help a particular player who was always suffering with lower back issues. So it was a sort of postural sleep uh, engagement. And, you know, just applied a few things, checked out the player's products at home, made a few changes. Uh, we started to see some positive changes in the player's profile posturally. Uh, that created more dialogue. I was talking to people who are not in the sleep industry. Um, so they sort of accepted my quirkiness uh, where my industry thought I was a little crazy, um, pushing the boundaries. But the dialogue developed and... We started asking questions about athletes in sport, um, about recovery, and suddenly, off we go. Um, Manchester United was a very high-profile club at the time, Steve. Um, you know, they suddenly went off and, and won the treble. Uh, for anybody who's not into football, um, that was the three major trophies. They did it in quite a dramatic way. A, a lot of media attention came down on Alex Ferguson and Manchester United. It was um, it was this little sort of class of '92, as they used to call it, uh, which was the young guns of Manchester United, homebred players: David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, Nicky Butt, the Neville brothers. Um, they also played for England. So suddenly, the conversation started to be had that. Manchester United's got somebody talking to them about sleep. Uh, the England setup became aware of that. And then suddenly I find myself in Arsenal Football Club because the England physio was shared with Arsenal. Suddenly a new manager comes in called Arsene Wenger, who was changing the rules and dynamics of managerial premiership football teams. And that created an opportunity for them to talk about recovery and sleep, which probably wouldn't have happened you know, if Arsene Wenger hadn't joined the UK Premier League. And, you know, suddenly one day I wake up and I read in the papers that, uh, you know, I'm a sleep coach in sport. <laughs> and um, so I thought, okay, sounds like a job. So I better keep doing it. Fantastic story. Well, talk about start with uh, the big guns, right? You know, not, you know, don't pussyfoot around the subject. Just go straight in with Man United. That is incredible. I didn't realize that. <laughs> no, it's, um, I think like you touched on before, some of the simple things. I mean, 
you know, I'm I'm old enough to have lived, you know, a, a large proportion of my life, my career, my occupation, bringing up family, being an international sales and marketing director for a large company globally, and without technology, uh, without 24-7. You know, the shops were shut on Sundays. I couldn't do anything when I left my office. Um, communication was extremely uh, difficult but we didn't realize how difficult it was. We certainly do now with what we've got available to us. But, you know, there was a lot of homegrown players in Manchester United. Um, so we were not talking, uh, texting each other, social media. The, the focus on communication and management and disciplines and, uh, and recovery were all there and a little bit easier to, to manage. Um, so when you look at what's changed since the late 19th to where we are now, every year has been presenting, you know, new challenges around this recovery area. And we've just been, you know, slowly but surely moving further and further away from this relationship as a human being with a brain and bodily functions, the circadian rhythms of our day, the sun going around our planet, which doesn't change, and these two factors are fundamental to, to how we recover. And we've just been moving further and further away from that process to where we are today and what the future holds for us. And that is why, you know, we're talking today and why there is a lot more emphasis on the human trying to redefine its approach to this natural recovery tool. Great scene set. And uh, maybe I could take it one step further before I pass the mic back to you, Nick. But for for those who have been frequent listeners of Adapt Nation, they'll know that the theme of my life over the last year and a half to two years has um, been an absorption in understanding and trying to improve my sleep. So as an individual, I'm 37 years old. I've had a successful career in IT sales. Um, and through much of my career, much of my life really, from as, as young as I can remember, sleep was always a second priority to other things I wanted to get done, whether it be playing computer games, doing my homework, or obsessing about my next day's meetings and how I'm going to make the sale and so forth. So sleep was always optional. It was always optional and I'd get it if I could and you know I'd try and catch up over the weekends but during the week I'll do what I need to, fly internationally, just get shit done. And through my journey of, I don't know, self-discovery and optimization, I stumbled across I think the impact of sleep deprivation. And the thing is from people listening today, you don't know how impactful sleep deprivation is until you start getting good sleep. And that was that was it for me. I didn't know that I was running on the red line that was running on adrenaline and youth throughout most of my life until I stopped and realized the impact of a couple, three, four nights of sleep. And all of a sudden, I'm sharper, more patient, more compassionate, uh, more cognitively able to process difficult tasks and just be more creative. And that for me has kind of led me on this kind of journey of one, being an advocate of sleep and two, whilst acknowledging the profoundness of sleep, also acknowledging that it's still my Achilles heel and it's still something that I disrespect and something I don't get good quality of. Yeah. So in my discovery towards a better sleep, I wanted to learn and share 
how we can take back control. And um, I think, as you've just said, the modern day pressures are not getting any lighter. We will continue as a society to deprioritize sleep unless this discussion and this movement continues at pace. And more importantly, whilst it's important for me and you to care about ourselves and our generation or generations older than us, the reality is, from a societal perspective and for the health of our kids, it is critically important we start changing the discussion and start putting sleep as a fundamental part of our lives, which, to be honest, is becoming less and less respected. So I'm hoping today, throughout the rest of this discussion, we don't just focus on you and me, Nick, and uh, people of our age, age groups, but we put some emphasis on how we can help the younger generations navigate a world which will be increasingly pressured around mm-hmm. 24-7, always on, and sleep being optional. Is that yeah. Does that feel like a good kind of theme for, for the rest of the discussion? To be honest, it's, it's the only theme, Steve. Um, you know, I predominantly, all of my clients are, are young. Um, they're aspiring to become elite professional athletes. They're in the early stages of being an elite athlete. And then they're in those stages of achieving uh, higher levels of performance with world championships, Olympic games, key events around the globe. And the objective for those athletes is just like any human, is to how to deal with the ever-increasing schedules and demands on their time, both not only occupationally, but also socially. And with colleagues and friends impacting on us far too much, um, invading our space. Um, So it's a it's the only place to look. And uh, just a couple of uh, maybe relevant uh, examples was the, I was uh, been working with uh, the hospitality market uh, with a particular organization that's cropped up uh, with a sort of an entrepreneurial character who went through some serious challenges um, and eventually ended up in a breakdown. It inspired him to try and put some things in place that was not in place for the hospitality market. And that's lots of young people working in bars, restaurants, and hotels around the world. And as things have sort of changed and those dynamics have changed, there are some really serious health and well-being red flags cropping up within that industry. And some of them are really serious. And it was kind of exposed yesterday that uh, at one of the workshops, in London, there was lots of people invited along. And there was just one person who had traveled all the way down from Manchester to join us in London because they wanted to come on and learn about how they could look at well-being techniques and they're not on their own. And they sort of commented that even when they got down there, they were wandering around outside, almost there was a barrier, this sort of social barrier to actually walking in and exposing themselves to, you know, I've got problems. Once they've been there, it was the best thing they've ever done. Uh, Just to cross that line, just to go, yes, there are some serious issues cropping up, and we've got, you know, more to come, no doubt. But don't don't treat it as that's it. We can actually do something about these things. So there's a big fear factor going on, 
um, which creates worry and anxiety in itself. But we really should just grab everybody's hands, give them a big cuddle, and let's try and resolve these things with practical and achievable techniques. And, and so there's a big movement in all sorts of areas of society where one of the first challenges is just crossing that line and realizing that you, you can do something about it. Um, the other one which seemed to resonate uh, with that audience yesterday and has with one or two others, and it's a little bit like sort of Nick going back in time. Um, I just remember very clearly it's not that long ago, sort of the mid-90s. My industry was a very slow uptake um, into technology. So we'd only sort of started to, uh, you know, various parts of the business had computers on their desk and everything else, but there was very few of us wandering around with phones. And I remember clearly, as an international sales and marketing director, the preparation that had to be in place before I left my office, maybe to travel to Europe. We used to have to make sure that everybody was aware of what's going on, because particularly my personal assistants as well, because everybody in the business just simply couldn't contact me for the 24, 48 hours when I was traveling into Europe. So when I left the office, thoughts would come into my mind while I was in the taxi traveling to the airport. I'd start to think about those and go, oh, I didn't do this, or I should have done that. Um, hang on a minute, I've had a thought and I need to do something about that. Those thoughts would develop on paper with pen on the plane. I'd start to think about what I need to do as soon as I land to communicate that this back into my company. And while I was traveling, I sort of started to reflect on those things. And then I thought, I'm not talking myself out of them, but I thought, hang on a minute, maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe there's a better time to deliver this message. So by the time I got into Europe and checked into my hotel, I actually made the decision not to not do it, but do it in a different way. Now, the difference to where we are now is that when I got into that taxi seat and I started, those thoughts started to collate in my head. I would have been texting and emailing and WhatsApping out into my community the thoughts and ideas and decisions that I'd cropped up in the cab. By the time I got on the plane, all hell is letting loose back in the business. Now people are all sorts of going, what's this, what's that, da 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 By the time I land in Europe, chaos has happened because everybody's now been reacting like mad to what's going on. And it's almost become something that's unstoppable. So it's trying to get everybody to think that sleep is one thing. Mental and physical recovery periods is what we look at in sport and for every human being. It's just to change the emphasis, to try and say it's not about slowing down. It's not about completely changing the rest of the world and where it's going. It's not about changing others. It's about simply yourself realizing as a human being how important recovery breaks are to you your brain and all of your bodily functions and your ability to cope with the world around you as it unfolds every day because we're not in control. And so you really just try to emphasize to everybody listening to this is that the big step 
is to not say that you're not recovering well, but you're trying to do something about it, is you just simply make the decision that as of now, you are going to add recovery breaks into your 24 hours, and you're going to do it because it'll actually allow you to be a better person, to achieve what you want to do, and if you don't do it, it's highly likely that you will not. So it's this word recovery, Steve, that I cannot emphasize enough. And I think the, you know, that younger generation below us um, really do resonate with this, this whole business of, of trying to apply a recovery process that's, that's actually practical to their lives. Uh, you know, so hopefully a couple of examples there will help everybody. I also think that it, it is becoming more, it's becoming perhaps a little bit more explicit and definitely more pronounced because, you know, whilst I think we work hard in the UK, absolutely, you, you jump over the pond to the US and you look through the, the college system and mm. how much money has been spent per year to get kids into, into school and yeah. the pressures they have to perform, do well, and then get into a good job. It is enormous. And you hear them yeah. taking Adderall, Adderall and taking all sorts of things to be up 24-7 and push, push, push. That pressure sounds unbearable. And how do you deal with that? You have to, you have to squeeze every moment out of the day. But the problem is when you do that and you take away sleep and you take away, you know, moments to reflect, be mindful, chill out, mm. just be away and absent from noise and pressure is you just build up this pressure, you know, this sleep, but both this sleep pressure, this sleep debt. And I, I know, cause I've been there. I definitely become less passionate. I definitely become more irritable. I raise more alarm bells. I cause more of a panic in the companies I've worked for. I've, I've I can reflect and know I've done that many a time when yeah, I've been yeah. sleep deprived. My taxi ride example is exactly that. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so I think it's becoming more topical. You know, you look at the mindfulness apps, you look at the um, discussion around recovery generally, especially it relates to people wanting to perform beast mode in CrossFit or the gym or, you know, pow, you know, just generally. Well, if I can just, if I can just jump in, Steve, go for it. I, you know, just look at the evidence. It, it's very, very clear. I'm not making it up, neither are you, that there are some fairly serious increases in health and well-being, and particularly in mental well-being. Uh, we have got increases in type 2 diabetes. We've got anxiety. We've got suicide. We've got depression, you know, off the charts. We've got epidemic things uh, in the US and various countries. And you kind of reflect on that and say, hang on a minute, we are a society that knows more about health and well-being than we ever had before. Our diets, our exercises, our, the exercise we get, um, what we eat, what we drink, hydration. Um, we've got gyms on every corner of, the, of, of our roads. We've got loads of knowledge. We've got data tracking systems. We've got so much knowledge about healthy lifestyle exercise nutrition we've then developed you know in the mid 90s what was yoga what was meditation now we've got lots of things mindfulness meditation yoga pilates 
all things that we've got inside, which should mean that we are really healthy human beings and moving in the right direction. So I just asked the question, why is it not coming through? Why do we have this, this other thing growing like mad that actually we're becoming so dominated by it that the likes of yourself and I've gone through it and lots of other people, is it's the demands of all of this sort of stuff. It's not making us more healthy and be able to achieve more things. It's actually taking us in the opposite direction. So you have to say to you, what's causing this? And the only bit out of the three key health pillars for a human being, nutrition, exercise, and sleep, the only one that has never been looked at in the way that we look at other things is sleep. So we're just saying we need to look at this and we need to give it the respect it deserves like the other two. We need to develop knowledge and research and experiences to share with each other so that we can get to a point so we can start to try and overcome some of these other things that are coming through. Um, and longer term research tells us that it's probably far more serious than we actually think in a longer term for a human being is we've just got to focus on it because that's the only thing that could be causing these things. Mm. And maybe if you could help, and I know this is somewhat of a loaded and a big question, so tackle it as you wish and um, with expediency in mind, maybe hit the top ones that come to mind. When you think about sleep and why it is so important, or maybe ask it a different way, what are the biggest impacts to sleep deprivation? How would you educate the audience on those those top things, the both either the importance and or the the lack thereof, and where we see it show up in our lives in the most obvious ways? You've touched on a book that I wrote, um, got asked to write, sort of back in 2016, which has now travelled around the world in 15 different languages. It's not a self help book. It's not a. It's just about my journey, and through that journey, we. There was these little, not necessarily challenges, but we're trying to get a human being from A to B every day, seven days a week, through the seasons, through every year. And the first thing that was very apparent to me was to educate people. Because it's not something our parents talk to us about because they're not educated. It's not something schools talk to us about friends and colleagues. So we just come into the world, we crack on with the changes in front of us, and off we go. And so the key point is, is, not to, is to emphasize to everybody that there's one thing that never changes, and that is the sun going around our planet. Now, it's called an external clock. It's called a circadian rhythm. And the reason why it has a broader term than just the sun going around our planet is because the light and dark and temperature shift that humans are exposed to with our sun going around our planet, depending on when you are born on that planet as well, because we don't all live in Guildford. We don't all live in New York. We live in all sorts of different places around the planet that creates different circadian rhythms. And the bit that everybody can do is just tap it in your browser, have a look at some images of this circadian process, 
and you'll suddenly realize that this relationship between your brain and all of your bodily functions and that circadian rhythm outside the sun going around our planet and exposure to light and dark triggers all the natural bodily functions at a point in time in every 24 hours which are key for being at your best i.e. your brain is doing things in relationship to that circadian rhythm that's natural it's a natural 24-hour rolling process and being aligned with that or just having some knowledge about what's actually happening when you look when you're outside and you're exposed to daylight and different diminished light as the as the 24-hour clock goes on and you realize that your brain is reacting to that and creating certain functions suddenly you get a better understanding of how more aligned you should be both educated and knowledge as the impact on that is if you're not in aligned with it the consequences of it if you are aligned with it the benefits you will get the other one through the 24 22 years was actually looking at any individual and any group of individuals who work together like a football team or even working in an office or a family with the kids and you spotted very early on that I'd always heard a term called owls and larks and I was fascinated by that because I very much related to what a lark meant it's a term for somebody who very much is awake and alive and active early in the morning the owl reference is to somebody who is not like that they are not alert and active first part of the day so again you just tap it in your browser you put in a term called chronotype which is a sleep characteristic and there was a definition of a morning person and a nighttime person and as the years have passed and technology is allowed to get into that area a little bit more specifically we can actually see it's genetic so there is a very specific reason and correlation between the human brain and its bodily functions the circadian rhythm of the day sunrise sunset and also it triggers two very specific hormones melatonin and serotonin and those two hormones trigger this process and they're both triggered by light and dark and once you are able to get that balance suddenly you realize that there's quite a lot of things going on every day every week that take you away from that natural circadian rhythm and also ask you to do things at certain times of the day which is not aligned to your natural chronotype and i also found out that whilst i was living in a what appeared to be an am as well because everybody gets up in the morning everybody goes to school everybody takes the kids to school everybody goes to work is it's an am as well we start the day early get on with our jobs and yet a piece of research showed me that probably 70% of the population are actually nighttime chronotypes. So 25, 30% are actually AM chronotypes. So 
there was a complete mismatch. And there's a lot of conversations goes on around this, Steve, as you know, as to working practices and when kids go to school and all that sort of stuff. And a change in the ethos in in bigger the, the bigger companies around the world who are sort of exposing these things now. It was like 70% of the population are doing things at the wrong time of day in the wrong manner. And I suppose that's another one of those key things that as we've shifted along this process and we keep developing using technology and our own drive to do as much as we possibly can in our lives is that we have suddenly started to realize that we are out of sync with this process and also we're out of sync with our personal chronotypes and that is one of the really key things that when you translate that into a lot of things in, in everyday life for a young person getting to understand that and also parents to understand those two things can really redefine how parents bring children into the world and manage those formative years and the kinds of conversations and things that they do around their children to educate them and develop their knowledge about their brain, bodily functions, and their relationship with the sun. And I think that, you know, we could talk about that for days, but I think the great first step for anybody is to just tap it in your browser, have a look at those things, identify with your own chronotype, and really start to think about, when we talk about recovery, these are two of the greatest examples. Great, great um, points there, Nick. And I, I think it's really the industrial revolution that drove us towards punching in and punching out on an ever-increasing and demanding schedule to fulfill you know, the obligations of manufacturing. But as we look at today's world, whilst absolutely manufacturing and delivery and shipment are still very important to the world, um, there's an ever-increasing population of workers which are you know information technology based stuff and much more of that can be done remotely and much more of that can be done i think in different you know rotors and uh, hopefully as you say you know with some of the work you're doing and the acknowledgement from big organizations that this small flexibility you can off offer your employees to start at the time which makes sense for them still work the eight hours that they're contracted to do but start at a slightly different time i think that could be incredibly powerful and i've seen that through my career that we've offered that flexibility here there but it wasn't it wasn't systematic it was more acknowledging someone's personal circumstance rather than their characteristic or their chronotype um i don't think there's a massive leap from where we are today to where we need to be to just offer some flexibility maybe the hardest one will be around schools because, you know, schools and school starts and everything around that is quite rigid. But hopefully yeah, but, there, but there you, is some hope. You sort of, you know, all it, all it basically was, it's not that I'm a, an, an academic, I'm not clinically qualified in sleep, but you, like I said, these little things started to intrigue me. I've been exposed to them before. Now I'm talking to, you know, premiership footballers and physios and doctors and managers and coaches and I'm sort of thinking, well, having a little chat, you know, over a cup of coffee in the club and just going, hey, do you love the mornings? Oh, yeah, I love it. Ask somebody else. You no, know, I drag myself here. 
Okay, so you're a PM, you're an AM. Yeah, what about you? What about you? Then I sort of start to talk to them about what does that mean? And they start to go, wow, absolutely. Then the coach starts to be interested because they're an am but the other coach is a pm So they start to see that they're trying to do something, not only individually, but as a group. And a lot of things they focus on are actually counterintuitive or counterproductive to these crimes. So could they make a little shift here and there? Could they do some of the things? And the other little area, which is key out of these sort of seven key recovery indicators, which is what my technique's all about. The third one was, I just thought, hang on a minute. We've got nurses and pilots and doctors and shift workers who work at night. Well, they can't sleep eight hours at night, like we told. So I tap in my browser. Uh, it was a little bit more difficult for me in those days. <laughs> you have to go to the library and investigate stuff, you know, and read books and, uh, and write letters. But principally, I tap in my browser and go, yeah, how did humans, how they've slept? And like you pointed out with the Industrial Revolution, I suddenly realized that up until the electric light was developed, humans never slept in one monophasic block just at night. They had up to four or five major sleep-wake cycles that didn't look anything like one block at night. So suddenly I was fascinated with this. Well, we could, we could just look back and go, nothing's really changed. We're still humans with brains. We've still got the circadian rhythm. We've got chronotypes. Why don't we adopt a polyphasic approach to sleep? What's this constant focus on eight hours at night? And because it was something human beings did naturally up until a, a point of development, is that there's no reason why we can't adopt it now. And it probably makes more sense now than it did then. So immediately, <laughs> it was sort of, you know, we've touched on children. I sort of realized that children come into the world sleeping polyphasically. Okay, that's the brain controlling these formative years. They sleep for short periods of time. You can't actually make a child sleep. Um, they just go to sleep when the brain wants them to, anywhere. And, um, but it's the parents who are then have moved from a polyphasic approach to a monophasic approach, just sleeping one block at night because of occupations and everything else, that they try and get the children then back onto a monophasic approach as quickly as possible so it's aligned with where they are. And I thought, well, if those children came into the world before the electric light bulb, they wouldn't have moved to a monophasic approach because the parents were not on a monophasic approach. So maybe if we just use that knowledge, we can redefine exactly what we're doing in every single way. And that was sleeping in shorter periods of time more often and thinking about all the little things that we learn from examining circadian rhythms and chronotypes. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize that. I knew I'd heard of some you know aspects of our evolution where you know or some certain parts of the world where people slept biphasically 
or maybe a couple of sleeps during the night, woke up, celebrated and went back to bed again and all that kind of stuff. But I, yeah. I didn't realize that it well, could have been it, as it, much as three or four times during the day. That's... Well, there's, there's uh, biphasic, which you've touched on. There's triphasic, there's multiphasic and crazy phasic. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, crazy phasic, you know, when you look back, the things that are classified as things like the Uberman um, sleep wave cycle, which was developed by some. What it showed you is, is that why can the human do these various different occupations? And that's because we have, we have this inbuilt opportunity to sleep polyphasically. So we can be pilots, we can work night shifts, we can have multiple schedules, we can adapt and change to the world changing around us. But the key factor, Steve, is knowing that you can do it, how you do it, and why not just going into it and then finding a way of coping with it that's not so the the human being has been going into these areas and dealing with them but without any knowledge of how they could approach that particular occupation period of time or particular event or project that's coming up in front of them or suddenly finding out that you're going to have your first child in nine months time these sort of significant changes in the way that the human operates is we've been wandering into it. It's been underpinned by our natural ability to sleep polyphasically and recover polyphasically, but it wasn't something that we, we actually put in place. It just happened. Mm. And I think that's the big shift to where we are now from the mid-90s, that those kind of occupations and lifestyle choices were there. But where we are today, there's a much bigger drive to be 24-7, and all of those recovery opportunities are not there. So even for people using these occupations, it's not a problem. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is understand that it's a natural process to sleep polyphasically. And once you get that as an important step, then whatever occupation and whatever challenge you're faced with, then you can use this natural human technique to your advantage. And that's a really good understanding about the 24-hour culture we're in today. I love that. I love that, Nick. Um, just before we we start you know, hitting through what are some of the practical pieces or tip, top tips you can give both kids and adults, I just wanted to underline um this point one more time and maybe put a little bit more meat to the bone which is if you had to characterize an individual who is sleep deprived what would you say would would be expressed both from a health perspective a, a personality perspective how they show up and interact socially give us some context so we can either identify with it or spot individuals that may be going through some chronic sleep deprivation whether they know it or not just i just want to understand uh -huh. that a bit more if you can oh there's, there's there's loads some are more obvious to others around you they can spot it um there's things that you will identify with yourself you touched on some of them earlier there's others which are more difficult to for anybody else or even yourself to identify with um, and that's like sort of over a period of time, um, 
you are constantly in a sort of reset mode, adjustment mode, coping mode, that the individual has become a shadow of their former self. Um, it's not so obvious because it sort of happens over a period of time. So you kind of think that you are able to complete tasks every day. Um, you are achieving things and doing things as a human being. But the reality is, is you could be, you know, 50% of who you should be or who you could be. The, the bit that I think is, is really obvious, as you touched on, is, is just your relationship with others, um, your mood and motivation to, to make the right choices. Um, it's so easy to, to, to slip out of it very quickly, which all adds up. So instead of being able to choose the right food and to eat the right food, or to hydrate at the right times and things like that, we, we take a, a shorter option um, because we simply just don't have the, the motivation within us to do it. Um, there's alertness, decision-making, uh, memory, uh, information retention. Um, a lot of those things uh, come through in things like walking straight past your you know partner for the rest of your life simply because you are not uh, alert to the fact that you've just walked past your ideal partner for life um, you didn't see something uh, you made a decision too quickly um, and that because then I have an impact on something later anger management um, the ability to process information um, is key and maybe there's always I don't know whether I'm answering your question that well but is um there are excuses Steve um, I don't know whether that's the correct term but it's it's cold outside so I'm not going swimming mm -hmm. it's I don't want to go for my bike ride today I don't want to go to the gym today i somebody's asked me to go to the cinema this evening but uh, i've got something else to do what we tend to do is rather than being able to this is some of the hidden things is rather than actually be able to identify that what you're doing is making excuses for things that you should be doing and should want to do but you're bringing up excuses that protect you from doing them so rather than it's, I'm making a specific choice, I don't want to go to the cinema and be with my friend, have a social experience, watch a nice film, interact with them, have a bit of a laugh, have a bit of a giggle, whatever it is, with one of my friends. I'm actually finding something that's stopping me doing that. There's something else more important that I've created. And when we try to explain it to others, I couldn't go there because I had something else to do. When it actually that thing wasn't there, you created it because your mood and your motivation uh, has dropped to a certain level where you just stop doing things. But you protect yourself by making excuses. And that, I think, is one of the fundamental things around recovery that you try to 
to remove those barriers so that you actually make good decisions, you make good choices, and you actually do the things that are very important for you as a human being, as an individual, and you don't start slowly but surely becoming a different person but having excuses as to why that might be. And then I think you end up in a cul-de-sac. Mm. I mean, I can relate. I can relate to that. I can relate to that because much of my life has been one of unknowing sleep deprivation. Or should I say, I'm, I was aware that I was probably not getting enough, but I was of the assumption it was by the by. I was performing perfectly well, even though I wasn't getting perfect sleep. You know, I was I was still knocking it out of the park in terms of my career, which yeah. was prob- probably the most important thing in my life. And that was going well for the most part. Um, I dealt with some personality issues I had around, you know, you know, you know, causing shit storms unnecessarily and being a bit, you know, grumpy and perhaps not being very relatable at times. I, I just I just marked that off as, hey, that's just who I am. But as I've as I've got more sleep, I've realized this more um conscious caring compassionate reflective mindful individual that I, I i can't just put down to maturity it it's kind of been exposed because i've i've let it come out right <laughs> and i read a book and i know that you're aware of this gentleman um, matthew walker <laughs> and another yeah, yeah. Brit who's based in the states and he's got a book called why we sleep and um He's a, I think, a, neuro, a neuroscientist. So, yes, is, yeah. so much of his work is grounded in science and investigation and lab work. And if you read his book, I mean, it just it just supports everything you've just said, but puts a scientific slant to it. I mean, it's all about resourcefulness in in my point of view. It's memory, it's brain development, it's brain de- degeneration, it's repu- re- reproductiveness, it's fighting cancer, it's managing weight, it's yeah. you know resolving di- diabetic issues it's psych- psychiatric disorders there's so yeah. much there's immune system weaknesses that come from not getting enough sleep and you saying you are a shadow of your former self I, again i can see that both in terms of how i showed up from a health and wellness perspective yeah. how i interacted with others how i recovered from hard stressful workouts i felt i was always always fatigued but I just assume I think, that's just think, the way Steve, it is. I think, Steve, for everybody listening to this, I think the point is, you know, a shadow of your former self. 37 years in, along that journey, slowly but surely, it's been shadowing. It's been changing. You were still performing. You were still doing things. You're still active and being successful. But in the background, things have been changing. And then ultimately they start to appear because you've gone too far back. So it's kind of like we need a little bit of a knock on the door to say, hang on a minute, the way you've been going on for a long period of time has reduced you down. You know, you've got so out of sync with this natural process. You've got so out of sync with your chronotype. You've got so out of sync with polyphasic, monophasic sleep. You've got so out of sync with these things is that eventually it's going to show up. Yeah. And it's I think... It's cumulative, right? Yeah. This whole sort of business is really, really fascinating. And I think Matthew Walker, for example, which you touched on, uh, for the first time has really brought that sort of neuroscience look um, to develop 
our knowledge around sleep. There are others um, like Arianna Huffington of the ex-Huffington Post, who was a great advocate and has written books around this as the, the impact on you know, global corporate life and, and well-being. You've got uh, Professor Russell Foster at Oxford from an academic level who's, who's really trying to come out into the marketplace and, and talk about it in a more practical and achievable way so that more people can engage with it. So that there's some great leaders around who are showing us the way. And uh, that's all we need to do is, is just continue this process of education and learning and uh, we should be fine. I agree. I think I think this discussion is fascinating because it's it's more about the psychology of how yeah, we show yeah, yeah. up, and that is just mind blowing. Absolutely, and I think you know, I gave you something to do when we spoke previously, and you got yourself a little Lux light meter. I did. And, uh, and what it is 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 this thing: is if I if I get a hold of anybody, uh, even myself, and I just wander down and sit by the river by the beach somewhere babbling brook it's amazing how quickly that i become at peace with the world it's well it's not that bad you know oh i'll go back home and say hi to the kids or i'll go back and talk to my boss and say you know i'm sorry or, you know whatever things things just come into place and Maybe one of those reasons is all about visualization because we're looking at something that calms us, the running water, the visual, the nature, the sky, like you pointed out just before we came on. It's a beautiful day today. The sun is shining and I sort of feel, we feel like smiling, don't we? We feel like smiling. So I think that that other realization that the brain is processing information all the time and turning that into stuff. So if you're looking at things and experiencing things that create calm, happiness, and things like that, if you're focusing what you're looking at and experiencing to hectic work environments, lots of people rushing around, you know, in busy cities, if we're watching horror films, we become sweaty and anxious and scared and fearful. If we're by the river outside playing, then we experience other emotional factors. And you sort of say, well, why is that going on? And so how much of the lovely stuff have I got every day? And how much of this anxiety, fearful stuff going on every day? Because if I'm completely out of balance, constantly faced with information overload by the, the problems of the world, and all my friends and colleagues, the fear of missing out, everything that's going on, targets, decision-making, got to meet you here, got to meet you there, let's go here, let's do that. Constant time pressures, constant demands. It's not surprising that your brain will continue to process that sort of stuff and the outcomes are not necessarily going to be positive, more likely to be negative. So we do understand this and you know, you hear people talking of a certain age group of how important it was to sit around the table and have a family dinner, of how much time, you know, Nick, at 58 years of age now, when I was growing up, we were always outside. And it's sort of like, was it because 
we had nothing to do, so we were outside, we were getting recovery. Or was it actually because, like you spotted with the light meter I got you to use, that actually sitting by the river, sitting by the beach, being outside, is exposing you to the strength of life, which is way, way, way beyond what you get internally. So are you actually, just by being outside, or let's put it this way, being exposed to the strength of light that the sun gives us, that that actually is producing the right levels of serotonin in our brains, that actually is the happy hormone, it's the active hormone, it's the mindful hormone. So maybe when we were playing outside all the time, we didn't, get, we didn't experience some of the problems we have today. But it wasn't because we knew that we were exposing yourself to that level of light. It was a consequence of. So we are getting this correlation between there are certain things we do as human beings that create calm, that create perspective. But it's not just about looking at the blue sky and being by the river. It's also that you are hitting your brain with a level of light that's increasing the serotonin that's making you feel more comfortable. So, wow. Now we can try to think about that because we can't all work outside. We can't all get by the river and the beach. We have to, but you can realize that you can put things into your life that create these things that we've moved away from and lost, but you can put them back in into the modern world. You don't just tell everybody to spend more time outside. That's just impractical, right? So I think that sort of process is, is one of the fo- most fantastic paradigm-shifting game changers for a lot of people now. I, I agree. And, and I think you're, you've um, flowed into really our close as we start to talk through the p- practical guidance we can offer. And this piece around the circadian rhythm, uh, let me humanize it. Let me, let me try and put some context to hopefully something people can relate to. Great, a, I'm going to listen intently to this. <laughs> Go, Steve. <laughs> if, you think, if you think about a day when you're out and about, maybe you're, you're mowing the lawn and you're doing, doing some work outside or you've got a job to do outside, you know, do some DIY, or you're just walking, walking the dog or doing something that is active and outside, there's a calmness and typically a good sleep that follows because perhaps previously we thought it's just because we've exhausted ourselves. We've just done hard work, used our body, had exercise. And maybe yeah. it is that, but maybe in addition to that, we've done what you've said. We've amplified our circadian rhythm by being out and exposed to sunlight when our body needs it and then recovering indoors in lower light and allowing our body and that kind of that that sine wave to be amplified at the extreme ends during the day and in the yeah. evening. And I pulled out that Luxlight uh, app that you asked me to, to download. And it was incredible to see yeah. that indoors that I had you know, 100 or so, 50 even, lux, uh, which is a measurement of uh, light intensity, I then walked outside on a cloudy mid, you know, lunchtime day. And it was at my, I don't know, not 100,000 or something like that. It was, it was an order of magnitude. It was 50, but it was serious. It it was, no, it was huge. It was was about 100, 100,000 or so. And it was, it was incredible to see what I was missing out on by Thinking I'm running a routine during a day, which is practical, we're centered around the work obligations I have and seeing my kids and you know going to the gym and stuff like that. But the reality is, without being conscious, 
I'm spending no more than five minutes outside with any any proportion of my skin exposed to the sun, especially in the winter. Vitamin D and all we hear all about. I mean, that, so yeah, I take vitamin D supplements because I know that. But there's another piece, which is, as you've said, amplifying your circadian rhythm. So is there anything else around doing, uh, you know, managing your light exposure that you want to touch on? And maybe it's a leading question, but, you know, maximizing daytime sunlight and minimizing nighttime sun uh, light generally. Do you want to just talk about that? Because right. um, blue blockers seem to be pretty big these days. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to light the point. Uh, I'll come to the light bit. Um the point you've just mentioned, uh, I think, is fundamental to anybody listening to this. It, it's not, you know, can we mow our lawns? You know, is that a generational thing that's been lost? Uh, cleaning our cars, we sort of lost that as well um, to a great degree. You know, spending some time outside cleaning your car. Uh, you just whisk it off to the garage and get it done, or you don't do it at all. There's a lot of things that when I'm talking to somebody about napping and polyphasic sleeping and this biphasic, trisphasic, they, to get them away to, from thinking about the, these are sleep moments, your brain will put you into sleep state if it wants to. If you just create um, the opportunity to do that, it is about mental and physical recovery. So while we were mowing the lawn, that was a nap. It was a recovery opportunity that exposed us to the right light. It exposed us to a, a different type of challenge, a different type of activity, a recovery activity. What you then said was that that puts you more aligned, and so your sleep improved when you did a more longer period nocturnally. And that clearly shows you that that activity Trying to replicate something like that midday, early evening, that's how you improve your nocturnal mental and physical recovery sleep. It's what you do from the point of wake that helps your brain achieve what you want it to do. And so mowing the lawn wouldn't be classed as a sleeping tip, but everything about it adds up to preparing you for a longer recovery period. And so, you know, you try to find in any individual's world, wherever they live, whatever they do, you try to find their little mowing the lawn moments, the ones that you can add in that creates this process, because that's all it was. So that's the key to anybody's uh, redefining their approach to their 24 hours is finding these little things that trigger a response based on knowledge that will have that impact. So when anybody tries to think about, you know, pre-sleep routines, you know, the final hour before they go to bed, shut their tech down, get off their emails, meditation, yoga, supplements, listening to whale noises, it's all too late, Steve. Hmm. Mowing the lawn for 20 minutes midday, when your brain wants to, when the circadian is aligned, expose you to life, exposure to something, a little distraction from every day, doing something else, that's pre-sleep. What you do first thing in the morning is pre-sleep. So it, it just changed the mindset. And obviously, there are some people who work outside a lot. Sports people are outside a lot. Some of them are, not all of them. You know, 
basketball players aren't. So when you talk about sport, it's not always outside. But there are construction workers. There's people who spend quite a lot of time outside. And they can be overexposed to light. Right? Because we introduced something called daylight saving time. So we invented light. We then invented daylight saving time, which doesn't apply to every country. But that means we shift our 24-hour clock, moving further away from that natural process. And we reduce and increase our exposure to light and those circadian rhythms, moving from around eight hours in the winter to 16 plus hours in the summer. And that changes our relationship with this process, which we could touch on and talk about even further. But I think what we do is that once you've took your little Lux light meter outside and realized there's 100,000 out there and it's only 100 inside, you realize that your brain is not lit up. It's not going to be functioning as you would want it to do. So as you can't get out into that daylight in the winter so easily, but you can in the summer, as you've got an occupation that keeps you inside a lot, you know, you wake up in your house, you travel to work, you spend all your time in the office, you go to the gym, da 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 that you're constantly, the majority of your time is spent in a low level of light because you've got your little light meter showing you. Because we can't get outside and enjoy that stuff as easily as we would like, then what you do is don't ignore it, is there are devices, light therapy tools that you can bring into your world. It certainly helps with chronotypes, with all the PMers who don't like to get started because they have a phase delay on producing serotonin in the morning against the AMers who produce it quite quickly, is that you can bring that quality of light into your bedroom with a dawn-wake simulator. You can have a little lamp in the kitchen or around. You can change lamps and light bulbs to ensure that you're exposed to that stronger level of light. You can have little things like um, uh, things like we, we call the human charger, which is a little earbud thing that you put light in through your ear canal into the same gland in your brain to expose yourself to it. You're not looking to be inside of that light all day long because you have a nice understanding that the sun rises, it reaches its peak midday, and then you're in diminished light from midday onwards to sunset. And so you're not trying to be with that level of light all the time. You're just making sure that during the course of the first half of the day, you're exposing yourself to the right quality using light therapy tools because you can't get outside. So we also want to when you move to the summer months uh, and we leave work in the winter and it's dark and it's cold so we're not really interested in in doing outside activities as much but then the summer comes along and we're leaving work and we've still got four or five hours worth of lovely daylight so we go out and we're more active and principally outside we're active so sometimes you can overexpose yourself to the level of light so things like blue blocker glasses are very much associated with protecting yourself from blue light from technology. I think what you've proved, Steve, is if you put that little lux meter in front of your laptop, it doesn't really change that much to when it's just over there mm. or over there. It's certainly nowhere near what's outside. So your relationship sometimes with the things that we develop is, is that we use blue blockers to ensure 
that we don't overexpose ourselves to this process as we shift with the season. So it's kind of once you have a relationship with light, um, you don't just give people advice just to get outside as much as they can. You do have to understand where you are on the planet because of daylight saving time. Your relationship with exposure to light, which should be eight hours in darkness, four hours in diminished light, and 12 hours in natural light, peaking midday and diminishing into darkness. Once you have a little bit of that better understanding, then you can manage your light exposure much, much better and create this mowing the lawn, sitting by the river, playing outside scenario, even if you're not outside. But it, would it be fair to say that blue blockers do have um, some place in people's lives, especially when you know they're oh, watching yeah. a lot of telly and maybe they're working into the evening on their laptops? Is it, is it fair to say if you are managing your daytime light appropriately, i.e. trying to maximise it, uh, as yeah, you yeah. just said, that in the evening you should be looking to minimise it? Yeah. It, well, manage it. You know, minimise sounds like, oh, don't do anything. <laughs> it's kind of red light, yellow light, amber light is not affecting these two hormones being produced. So what you're trying to do is create this process of moving from light to dark and from dark to light. And so although we're inside, we need to think about that in our bedrooms where we wake. We need the light. Seasonal doesn't matter because we have to flow with it. Um, we need the light to stimulate that process in the first 90 minutes of our day. We need to manage it as we go through it. And then because we have got that electric light around and we have got blue light around us in various other places, you just want to be saying that from a point in time in that natural circadian process, you know, you've been at work all day, you're in the gym, you've had a little bit of time outside running around here and there, is that as you get towards the end of the day, you either want, as you're moving through the day, you either want to keep the exposure to, to blue light up, and then you want to be thinking of diminishing it as you progress towards nocturnal sleep. And that can be just like we sat around the fire with the amber light off the fire. We can still cook, play tunes, have conversations, tell jokes, um, but the amber light is diminished light. So we're still moving towards producing the melatonin that moves us to a suppressive state and the ability to have some nocturnal sleep. So rather than just saying, I'm going to minimize my exposure to blue light by shutting my tech down or wearing blue blockers, it kind of doesn't work unless you have a plan of exposure to light throughout your day. And, you know, we mentioned kids before, and wow, if you spot a child, their chronotype as it starts to develop, and without them even knowing, you can't drag them outside through the seasons. And they don't walk to work, they don't walk to school anymore because of the pressures on the world we have today. So you make sure that inside their bedroom, there is a dawn wake simulator, a lamp that's producing this right level of lux. So it comes on in the morning, it triggers in their brains serotonin, so it can help the AM get going, but they don't need it as much, but it helps the PM join the world at the same time. And then just around the breakfast table, there's a little lamp there doing the same thing. They don't even know it's just a lamp. And 
both your kids get to school for nine o'clock and they've both been woken up uh, to be ready for the rest of their day because you've helped them with the start of the day because of this knowledge. And you don't make them do their homework at the same times because one's an AM, one's a PM. So they get a better understanding that mom and dad or the parents are, are actually doing things and advising things and implementing things that make them feel better. Uh, don't put them under so much pressure. Just maybe your one child as a PM becomes quite creative. Um, would rather do their homework later on at night, but you're making them go to bed early at the same time as the AMA. There's all these little factors that mm. start to creep in because you've had a conversation about light. And so that, that whole balanced approach makes a hell of a lot of sense to a generation that is involved with gadgets, is involved with technology, is involved with all of these sort of things, and can, can actually use that knowledge in a very simple and practical way that they're actually getting, instead of go to bed early, shut your tech down, blue light's dangerous. Hang on a minute, you should be telling your kids that blue light is the best light human beings could ever wish for every day. And without it, we are useless. And rather than there's no conversation about exposure to light from the minute we wake up throughout our days. The only conversation we have is buy some blue blockers, blue blockers to protect yourself from that really damaging recovery light called blue. It's not. Mm. It's the best thing you could have in your life. It's That's just powerful. a relationship with it, you know. <laughs> That's very powerful. Listen, I know we've been uh, we've been having a. It's been a fantastic conversation. I've been loving every second of it. Um, I know we're reaching to a point where people start switching off. So I am going to do a couple of things. I'm, I want to ask one last question, but I first want to just summarize what I've heard from you, just so we've got some uh, practical steps to take away for the audience. So what, I'm, what I've heard from you today and in previous discussion is we've got to manage our light exposure by amplifying the circadian rhythm from the moment of wake to the point of no nocturnal sleep. I think that's a biggie. We've got to seek out mental and physical recovery during the day, whether it be through napping, polyphasic sleep, or just taking moments to recover physically and mentally. We need to stop obsessing about the perfect eight-hour sleep that we have to get all at night, remove the pressure, remove the anxiety, and realize that it's, uh, it's something we need to manage during the day and during the week versus all in one episode in the evening. A biggie that you've mentioned is chronotype. So understanding whether you're an AMA or a PMA and managing your day to wake you up and perform at its best, given uh, how your body best performs. And then an acknowledgement there, there is a kind of pre-bed routine, but really that pre-bed routine starts the moment you wake up and planning consciously to be unconscious is really a movement that I think would allow us to plan for sleep like we plan for anything else, whether it be nutrition or exercise or mindfulness or you know what we want to watch or where we want to go or our work, is plan for a good night's sleep. And don't plan for it at 10.30 at night, but start the day thinking, how am I going to manage my recovery? So then that kind of 
brings it all together for me. The one last thing that we haven't spoken about. You sound about. like a proper sleep coach now, Steve. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> write a book and go on tour and be an evangelist and you're sorted. <laughs> and um, right. I've, I've actually written a couple of articles, an article or so about some of the sleep hacks that I use, but they're more, as you've said, they're pre-bed stuff. And I think they can all help, like magnesium and room temperature and blue blockers and you know, uh, maybe a hot bath before bed, winding down, reading, all that kind of stuff. But there's one thing that you spoke about with me previously that I just want to conclude on, which is with the movement of of, of sleep as it is, uh, as we are seeing and witnessing now, there are opportunists, whether it be technologists, startups, entrepreneurs, gurus, that are promoting hacks or means of measuring sleep so there is a proliferation of technology wearables predominantly or things that you get on your phone that measure your sleep and try and give you feedback on your sleep but it's a it's a double-edged sword it can create as much problems as it solves so i just wanted to conclude on that because i'm sure after listening to this episode people might be thinking my fitbit measures my sleep my apple watch measures my sleep and get one of those aura rings. I could do this, that, and other. I want to see how good I sleep. How do you respond to that in terms of some practical guidance of how people should look at technology and how should they should use it? Wow, you want a short answer to that one, Steve? Ish, um, please. <laughs> I think along our journey with nutrition and exercise, and the third pillar being sleep, along the journey with nutrition and exercise, there has been many, many things developed. We've adopted certain approaches to exercise and diet. And some of those, as time progresses, have been found out to be not as good as others uh, or actually quite damaging. Um, so we've been constantly researching, constantly tracking data through the population, creating informative uh, research that allows us to make choices about we, what we do in those particular areas, whether it's five a day, being vegan, gluten-free, salts and sugars. You know, I grew up, there was nothing about salts and sugars. Uh, my parents smoked. Uh, that was absolutely fine. There was lots of things going on. But as we've developed, because we're so focused in those areas, we've actually got an enormous amount of knowledge and we can make really good choices about what we do in those areas. And we know the impacts of if we don't have a healthy, balanced diet, these are the impacts and all of those things. So all I want to put in perspective is that we've gone from not knowing anything about we always slept in polyphasic approach, nothing about chronotypes, nothing about circadian rhythms, internal clocks, body clocks, our exposure to light, um, sleeping in different environments and circadian rhythms around the world. All of these things have never been looked at in any anywhere near the same level of detail. So once you suddenly go from nothing to start tracking something, the big question you have to ask yourself is what does that information mean? What do I do with it? How can I affect it? How can I manage it? And you're at the very, very early stages of almost a Darwinian approach to this other health pillar called sleep. So you can actually create, and it's something that is happening right now, 
is you create more worry, more anxiety, more problems, because you've now brought something in that is now tracking something where you have no knowledge about. You also don't understand that the only way you can track sleep is from the brainwave patterns coming from your frontal lobe if you're in a clinic. Now, all of these other devices track motion and pulse rate and heart rate, and they make an objective guide to how much sleep you've actually got, to how much REM or deep sleep you've actually got. And so what are you going to do with that information? So my advice to everybody is choose your devices carefully. Um, do things like listening to Steve's podcast and all the information that's provided to raise your knowledge and education about it so that you can now start creating your own data. And you want to think about it that if you introduce a tracking device, then you want to look at it spring, summer, autumn, winter through illness while you're, at, while you're doing your occupation, while you're away on holiday. You want to do it Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then leave it for a bit, and then start doing it again. You want to build all of that information up so that then you can start to see that if you mow the lawn midday for 20 minutes, then your data shifts a bit. Because there's so many variables that you need to have the knowledge and understanding about what you're doing on a daily basis of how that actually reflects consistently back into your data tracker, not randomly. And you can also see that maybe that day you did mow the lawn for 20 minutes, but your data didn't change. Maybe there was something else that didn't or did happen in that 24-hour period that skewed that particular process. Because you've got things like orthosomnia. I, I don't know who's come up with this word. I don't know what the ortho bit means, but I was having a conversation with somebody about it. And that is people becoming insomniacal because their data is showing mm. them that, you know, is worrying them. That is a so, real thing. And I, I've, like, yeah, I've yeah, experienced yeah. it a because, little bit. Yeah, yeah. You wake up in the morning and you're in no control of this process. You know, as you pointed out really specifically, it's what you do from the point of wake. So when you wake up in the morning, however, whether you've slept well, not at all, loads of awakenings, thoughts, dreams, whatever it is, forget about it. Start your day, light, hydrate, mild exercise, get the thing going, little breaks every 90 minutes, little distracted ones. Think polyphasically, grab a little 20 minutes midday. Grab one early evening. Think about a shorter nocturnal period at night so you've got more time in the evening to take the pressure off your 24 hours, to have a shorter period at night that allows you to go through it probably easier, quicker, with more rhythm and pattern. And it's everything that you're doing. So the last thing you want to be doing is waking up in the morning and then going, my data says this, it's changed or it's done that and done that, why has that happened? And then before you know where you are, you're into your day doing your normal stuff, and it has absolutely no impact on your choices, right, about what you're doing. So as you pointed out before, once you've got a more defined approach, as we've been touching on today, 
then you can make good choices, as we talked about before. We make bad decisions. We make excuses. You can make informed choices about, is that intervention that I'm going to introduce, that's going to help my overall recovery process? It's a warm bath. It's meditation. It's this. It's a supplement. You're adding it in to a good basis of understanding about recovery. Then they will have a positive impact. If you just start looking at data and then suddenly you grab the next device that comes along, uh, I've got some blue blockers. Yeah. Do you know how much light you're exposed to every day? No, no, no. I've just got the blue blockers in. I've got these in. I've got that in. I bought a dawn wake simulator, but I've got no curtains. All right. Okay. Uh, you bought a dawn wake simulator, but you've got tech all over the wall with standby lights and all sorts mm. of things and noise outside and da, da, da. All right. All right. They just don't have the impact. So just say to everybody, nobody is saying data collection for one of our most natural mental and physical recovery processes is key. And it's developing all the time. And we will get to a point. But I'd just like to remind everybody that this is going to take a few years, right? It may not take as long as it would have done back in the 80s, 90s, 70s, because we move so quickly with things. But you know, you just need to get to a much better place so that you can examine the data like you would with anything else that you do correctly and positively so it doesn't have a negative impact on you. And remind yourself that some of the most successful people on our planet, whether they are sports people, the fastest man on the planet, Usain Bolt, or people in business or science, or wherever it is, they've never trapped their sleep, Steve. There right? we go. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we shouldn't start doing it, yeah? But you do understand is how we haven't got the data and information through coaches, through personal trainers, through people like you, through universities, schooling, and parents. We just haven't got the benchmark that a human being like Usain Bolt, had a recovery program that looked like this. They got so much sleep per day. They used napping techniques. They did lawnmower 20-minute moments. They got 25% deep sleep consistently uh, through a particular period of time. They had certain periods of time before major events like children being born, exams, interviews, Olympic finals, where they didn't sleep at all, so they didn't... We haven't got any of that to look at. All we know is he was able to run faster than anybody else. So it's kind of, we've got to build that information up collectively as a population, as well as the academics. And we've got to keep building that up. But it starts with listening to your podcast before you end up. There's a market out there that suddenly realized that there's this big black hole, this big trillion dollar black hole where nick and steve and various other people are talking about sleep in a completely different way and they're talking about the problems and we've got the staff the statistics there to show us we've got problems we've got to deal with so they just come out with products with supplements with devices anything they can come up with and put the word better sleep on it whether it's a mattress a pillow a piece of tech under your bed, 
a thing that you can wear on your finger, uh, anything you can do, is that suddenly, you know, one minute everybody's wearing, you know, this particular device, and by the summer, they're not. It's back in the box. It's not being used. <laughs> because we, we didn't have the knowledge prior to bringing something like that into us, so it becomes a sort of negative thing that we stop using because it's not having an impact, you know. I, I agree, Nick, and that, that was, the, really, the that was device, a really powerful answer. The best advice, Go on. The, the best piece of advice, technology, device that you could ever do is to tap circadian rhythms into your browser. It's free. Take five minutes looking at some visuals. Just simply very quickly identify with your natural chronotype, and you will be on a journey of change much better than anything else that you could bring into your life from the world that's around you right now. Or just read my book. That's another one. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, what I took from that last statement you said there is it's, it's about the habits. You know, bring these good, wholesome, natural habits and the awareness of the circadian rhythm into your life. Then if you want to use tech, you have to be consistent with it. You need to have a bigger picture view. You need to understand you are contributing to data that in years to come will inform us on, on things that we don't know today. But yeah. you need to look at the cause and effect, both what you do during the day and how it impacts your sleep and what your sleep does to impact the following day. And if you're not that way inclined to be a data analyst or be consistent through weeks and months and years to be able to spot trends and see cause and effect. If that just sounds too geeky and techy, then maybe a device or wearable isn't for you because otherwise it is trying to summarize and conclude complex things in ways it's almost inevitably going to get wrong. And if you are, yeah. if you are um, influenced by your sleep score in the morning, that will just have a de detrimental detrimental impact to your day. That's happened yeah. to me, and I'm, ha I'm having to disconnect from that. Well, you just want to be conscious that you you know you've got to develop that understanding, and you've got to develop it from the right place. Then it starts to make sense, and by next month there'll be another device that manage that that collects this data even better. And before the next month, we'll have a frontal lobal brainwave pattern device that you just stick on your forehead, and mm. and and you're off. And we're moving in that direction. But it's just right at those early stages. And I think I'm going to say something silly. I'm going to say something daft. Uh, hopefully, it'll resonate with some of you uh, listening to this. It's a little bit like we've suddenly said that exercise is important. And we go, okay. And we go, right, we need uh, a machine to run on, uh, a treadmill that operates. And we stand on it and we run. Okay. Right, so we're in the gym, we're on the treadmill, a personal trainer's there, and there we are running on the treadmill, doing this new thing called running an exercise. But on our feet, there are Wellington boots. Now, neither the trainer or anybody else around you is telling you that you've got the wrong footwear on for doing that. And the consequences of while you're running, doing this new thing called exercise, you're actually doing more damage to yourself than what actually exercise is supposed to be doing because you've got Wellington boots on <laughs> or some high heels 
and nobody has spotted that. So I'm trying to say that, yeah, sleep, great. Yeah, track it, technology. Wow, go, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. But if you're wearing high heels, you ain't going in the right direction. I agree. Great place to conclude and finish off our discussion, Nick. Um, we've spoken at length today uh, about a number of things, and we've obviously um, made sure people are aware of who you are. But where can they find you, both in terms of your content and if they wanted to get in touch, whether it be a question or a, an opportunity or to get some coaching it themselves? I think what we what we try and do with all these sort of things, you know, I've been hidden away in elite sport for 22 years. Nobody gave a damn about me. Um, now we're having podcasts beyond belief. We're all communicating. It's absolutely great. And um, knowledge is being spread. Um, if you go to any of our social media platforms, at Sports League Coach on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, um, we have a website, sportsleepcoach.com. I am constantly producing podcasts. I am constantly producing free content. We have little consultancy services, little things Although we're in elite sport, it doesn't mean to say everybody's got lots of money. So everything's set up to try and help people make changes. So we try to keep everything affordable. So they can go onto the website and there's little coaching things that uh, they can engage with and even have a little one-to-one -one with me in a very simple and practical way. Um, we've also got the book, um, which for those people who don't like to, to read, they can listen to it on Audible. It's a great little place to make that first step. And the but, book is called? Strangely enough, sleep. There um, we go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think what I'd like, you know, why would I go and have a look at a, a sports sleep coach website? Why would I even think about having a little consultation? You know, you, what you want to do is, is, don't be frightened about it. We're really nice people. Hopefully, from some of this, you can engage. You know, we have got things that we can really help you with. It's not really much of an investment in the slightest. And like going to the GP or going to a personal trainer or a physio or an osteopath or all of these little things that are going to see a hypnotherapist, going to see a mindfulness expert, going to a yoga class, going to a spin class, they all require a little bit of investment and a step to make. Just get one little consultation into your life. If this is a first step listening to this, or read a book, or do something, because once you've done it, it'll protect you for the rest of your life. And treat it just like you would. You've got a pain in your foot, go and see a physio, or go and do something about it, and make a little investment to improve that little problem that you've got or that little issue. And the final thing I would say is anybody out there, who says they don't have a problem with sleep and they sleep absolutely fantastically, they are some of the people I really like to talk to because they normally are the people who've got the biggest set of problems. Interesting. Well, listen, Nick, I need to go and have a nap. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, go and have a nap and uh, mow the lawn as well. Fantastic hey. speaking with you, Nick. I hope you have a great rest of the week and rest of 2019, and I hope we keep in touch, man. No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. Cool. Take care, man. Cheers. Hopefully you agree that that was a great conversation with so much to take away, absorb, and hopefully implement in your lives for a better version of yourself and healthier kids. 
Now, as you know, Adapt Nation is all about providing you the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. Until next time, have a great week, guys. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.